Hope Church. Uh, but we're going to continue this morning in Acts chapter 16. Um, so if you have your Bibles and uh, want to turn there, you are free uh, to do so. Um, or if you have your Bible app or whatever you need. This morning I'll be reading um, from the ESV. Um, we kind of mix it up here um, Sunday to Sunday on these things a lot of times so in terms of which version we use, but uh, multiple good ones. So we want to continue um, in this second missionary journey um, with Paul um, and Silas and then Timothy and also Luke. Um, join and Luke is the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke and who also wrote um, this book of Acts on the history um, of the early church. And so uh, before we get into this morning, uh, let's go ahead and pray and prepare our hearts uh, for the word. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to be here this morning. We thank you for the privilege to call upon you by your name uh, to worship you together. I pray that you would help us to do so um, in spirit and in truth and, and united um, hearts and, and minds and spirits. Uh, Lord, we pray that this morning you would work in, in us and change any uh, thought or attitude or idea or anything that in us that needs to be uh, changed, Lord. Thank you for your, your great love uh, for us and your grace that is sufficient for us um, every day. We praise you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, and so, I just want to pick up a little bit uh, from earlier in Acts chapter 16. Uh, this morning, uh, we'll pick up in verse 16. So, sixteen, sixteen. Um, but before that, we see Paul and Silas trying to go into uh, what is called the province of Asia, uh, which is in southwest, modern-day southwest Turkey, and they're trying to go that direction because they feel like they need to go reach the people there. And the Lord does not permit them. Um, but instead, Paul ends up having a vision of a man from Macedonia, which is in Greece, modern-day Greece. And he has this vision of this man saying, please come and help us. Um, now, what we end up, as we know the whole story, as we have the whole book of, of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, that... At the end of this second missionary journey, Paul does make it uh, to the province of Asia. Um, we have the book of Revelation is written to the seven churches of Asia. Obviously, there's a tremendous amount of success there. Um, and then we find this little ironic thing that happens that uh, when they go um, into Philippi, the first woman who we find becoming a believer is a, is a woman from Asia. So a man from Macedonia says, come and help us. And they go there. And the first person there that comes to know the Lord is a woman from Asia. It's a little bit of uh, ironic, perhaps. But um, you can see the Lord's work and the Lord's plan um, in all of that. And that also takes away misconceptions um, that people have as they um, read those uh, verses. Uh, first verse is Acts chapter 16. And sometimes um, kind of come to wrong conclusions um, about God's plan or about God's character um, and different things, but but we see that the scripture answers those more than sufficiently. Um, and so we have that beautiful beginning of Acts chapter 16, and then in verse 16 it says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, 
These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, I'm just want to stop there for a moment and make a note. Um, so we see that this woman, this, this girl is um, demon-possessed. Um, we see this throughout the ministry of Jesus. Um, you know, we see people who are demon-possessed, and we often find the demons even telling the truth about God. And one of the lessons that we learn from that is that anyone can tell the truth, or the, the, at least the partial truth, you know, about anything, but even about God. Um, but that doesn't mean that the heart is right. That doesn't mean that the perspective is right or the, the, the purpose is right. Um, so the truth in itself is, is not enough. There has to be an, a, a belief in the truth and an application of the truth. Um, <clears throat> otherwise, even the, the demons would be, um, you know, one with God if it was just a matter of agreeing um, intellectually with the facts of the matter. All right. Um, so she brings her owners. She's a slave girl, and she brings her owners much gain by fortune telling. And uh, you know, she so she she does this in verse eighteen. It says, "And this she kept doing for many days." Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, "I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her." And it came out that very hour. Um, and just a note there we'll make as well, um, you know, because sometimes we, you know, as I, read this, as I read this passage, you know, one of my first questions is, well, you know, if this slave girl was demon-possessed, you know, why didn't Paul, you know, help her earlier? Why did, why did he wait until he was, you know, annoyed um, in order to cast, you know, this demon out? And I think it's because, you know, he knew the implications. You know, there was a, there was a time for that. Um, there was a time to do that. But as we see, everything in this community is going to change once he does that. And so he knows that there are people that he needs to be preaching the gospel to. So it's, again, it's not an issue of you know, never or not having a, a heart and desire to want to, but it's a matter of timing of not yet because there's other things that need to happen first. And sometimes that's hard for us to come to grips with, but we need to understand that even in our own lives, with the timing of God. Because sometimes God's answer to you is not no, but his answer is rather not yet. You know, because there's other things that need to happen, you know, before that. And there's in other situations when, you know, you're delaying something that's inhibiting other things from happening, where God is saying now, because this progression of other things needs to go ahead and take place. You know, and so... You know, we, need to, we just need to understand that many times our timing is different than God's timing, but we have to trust God's timing because God sees the whole picture where we can only see, you know, right in front of us. We're kind of, you know, it's, it's what we're told in the scripture is step by step. You know, we're told step by step. You know, but God doesn't need to go step by step because, I mean, he, he sees the entirety of it all. So he can direct our next step. Because he knows the path that is best for us. But when we don't see it, and that's where to, that we're, the scripture encourages us to live by faith. You know, and and I'm, I'm afraid that so many times we get this misconception that we, we just start with Jesus you know, through our faith. And then that we're going to continue our relationship with God without it. 
that we're going to continue our relationship with God, you know, more based on this, well, I'm just going to talk to God about it, and then he's going to let me know everything. Well, no. You know, it's, it's still going to be a by faith. We live by faith. We walk by faith day by day. It's a continuous process of trusting God in the practical things you know, of life. And this is particularly hard uh, for people who are, you know, highly, you know, planners. You know, spontaneous people don't have as much difficulty with this aspect. They have difficulty with other aspects. But people who are heavy on the planning side of life have a difficulty with step by step, day by day, you know, with the Lord. Some of you resonate, you know, with that. I know you do. Um, you know, and, and, and praise the Lord, because again, that's an opportunity. And whenever we are hesitant, whenever we are weak in something, that's an opportunity for God's power and for God's grace to be displayed in our lives. And that's where we give him the credit and say, Lord, that's you, not me. You know, and, and that's a necessity. And so whether, whatever your strengths or weaknesses are, God's always going to push your buttons in such a way that at the end of the day, you need to be able to say, Lord, that's you, not me. So spontaneous people aren't off the hook. You know, people who less care about that, you know, the plan aren't off the hook because God's going to push your buttons in a different way. But everybody, by God, everybody is going to have their buttons pushed. Because that's how we grow. And, and God's not content for us to be stagnant in our lives and in our walk with him. God's not content with that. And so there's going to be the pressure, there's going to be the push, and there's going to be the friction. There's going to be the things that come about that are necessary for us. And as we move into this next section, I want you to remember what, what Jesus said about the Apostle Paul, you know, right after his conversion, that he was going to show him all the things that he must suffer for his namesake. And one of the reasons for that is that, you know, Paul was one who, there's a couple of reasons for it, I believe, but Paul was one who inflicted suffering. And now the tables are going to get turned on him a, a, a bit, but it's for his own good and it's for his growth and it's for ultimately for him to be more like Jesus. <clears throat> and sometimes that's hard for us to accept, but that is what the scripture says. The scripture says, Jesus said, I will show him how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. And so, you know, Paul, Paul got a little bit more of everything than most people will get. Paul got a little bit, I mean, he, you know, you think about it, he got a little bit more grace in the fact that, you know, he, he was trying to destroy the church. He was having families ripped apart and he was throwing people into prisons and so, his, I mean, his sin was so great, but God's grace matched it. It was even greater. Because not everybody gets a vision, you know, is, not everybody is physically blinded and gets a vision where it says, you know, Paul, Paul, you know, or Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Not everybody gets that. He got that. And with his greater grace came a greater responsibility. And with his greater responsibility came a greater suffering. It all kind of, you know, works out. So, you know, 
when, when people say, you know, I want to do great things for God and I want to have great responsibility before God, understand what you're asking for. You'll be asking for some more pain in your life. You're asking for more tribulation. You're going to be asking for, for a rougher go of it. And so, you know, is, is that what you really want? Because, you know, it's going to get tested. The, the what we say is going to get tested with the reality. Because we can all talk a good game about anything for you, Jesus. We can all talk a good game about that. I can talk a great game about that. But then what do we find come next as this demon is cast out? In verse 19 it says, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. When their owners saw their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their, their feet with stocks. Now, there's a couple of interesting notes here, but one is, you know, just when the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they then went after, you know, Paul and Silas with accusations of this is not lawful according to our Roman customs. You'll notice that they, their, their strategy wasn't, hey, everybody, Paul and Silas just cost us some money and we're upset about not having that money. So we want these guys beat the fool out of these guys, maybe even kill them. That's not what they said. They said, hey, these Jewish people are here and they're teaching all these crazy things that are not according to our customs as Romans. Now, remember one of the things that we looked at, that, you know, there's not a synagogue here. There's not enough Jewish people here to even have a, a synagogue, a place of teaching. So they meet down, you know, by the river. So, I mean, there are very, very, very few Jewish people here. There's very little, as opposed to a lot of the cities in the Roman Empire, there's very little Jewish influence um, or senior cultural, that rub of, you know, day-to-day life. And this is the first time that we see that it's Gentiles who are instigating an attack against believers in Jesus. Up to this point, you know, it's remember Saul being one of the first was a Jewish person persecuting Jewish people who were teaching about Jesus. And that's the progression, you know, all the way through the, through the first, basically half of the book. And it's not until, until here, until chapter 16, do we have Gentile-led oppression of followers of Jesus. It's not until here. There's a sh- shift that takes 
you know, place. And it, I mean, and, and throughout a lot of the rest of the book, it, it goes back. Uh, but this is the first time we really see this. Now, they're going to say it's according to their customs. And, you know, and, and really, though, it's about economics. And this is just a little, you know, just a little lesson that I think is just helpful. When it comes to any, like, big conflict, when it comes to, you know, nations warring against each other, and there's claims of, you know, well, this is our political way, or this is a religious way. You know, whenever you see or hear about a quote-unquote religious war, follow the money. Follow the money. Very, very few wars are actually fought over beliefs between two groups of people of, well, I believe this about God and you believe this about God, and so we're going to take up arms and kill each other. Like, that's really, really rare. There are usually economic motives that are greater, but people, but people are also smart enough to know that it's hard to motivate people based on you know, the economic benefit of a few. You know, these guys can't walk in here and get the whole city up. Hey, me and my business partners, we got hurt financially, so we want you all to do this, these violent things. So what do they say? Hey, this goes against our customs, against our traditions, against our ways. You know, this is going to be a front to our gods. So now come and get these guys. Because that does motivate, that can motivate the masses, but the ones who are instigating are almost always motivated by money. And that's just a truth that we see it played out time and time again throughout history. Now, I will also see here, People get really mad when their money gets messed with. People get really bad when their money gets messed with. Uh, and so this is what happens. They come in and they say, these men are Jews. They're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us to, as Romans to accept or practice. Now, there is a certain amount of truth here as well. Okay, because again, you know, we're going to get to a point where the Caesar is God. And, and, you know, the allegiance is to him. And, you know, these Jewish people are teaching, no, that's not the case. You know, they're not just explicit in that. They're not necessarily coming after Caesar in their messages. But what they are proclaiming is that there is one true king. There is one true savior and one true king. And his name is Jesus Christ. There is one savior and there is one true king. And his name is Jesus. And he should be followed. You should be lived for. And so there is a truthfulness in their attack and in their claim, despite the motivation being economic, the motivation being completely different. There is a truth in it. But what they do when they attack them and they strip off their garments and they beat them with rods is not lawful. Because you don't see any, I mean, even for the, for the Romans, you know, the Romans were pretty big on law. You know, and, and um, that's, you know, the Greek and the Romans and being based on, on law is even, you know, foundational for our society today. 
you know, that's a, a lot of that work comes from where you have, a, you know, a basis that, yes, there were, and in still today, you know, there are many abuses based on people's power and ability to, to influence, but at least theoretically, a, you know, common people are supposed to have some protection under the law and at least would have a trial, even if it's not a fair trial, at least some sort of a trial, you know, would be had. But that's not what happens here. It's just a mob attack. They get their clothes ripped off of them. They get beaten. And they threw them into prison, ordering the Jordan to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So when, he, that, when that jailer is told, you take these men and you put them in jail, you're responsible for them. You know, this is his job, but it's a, it's a man, who wants this job? Because this is a job that if, if you fail in your job and you're told to keep this, these people and they somehow get out, you, you lose your life. You know, it's like you get paid if you do it well, but if you don't, if you don't, if something bad happens, you're going to die. You know, that's kind of how this goes. Um, well, that's, you know, that's pretty significant. And we'll see that that's true as this plays out. Because in verse 25, after being beaten severely, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. See that connection? But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. I said that too softly. He said, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. I said it with a loud voice. I got soft. That got messed up. All right? So... <clears throat> Why did they all stay? Because it wasn't just Paul and Silas stayed, who stayed. But everyone stayed because they were in awe of the moment. Because they made a connection between the worship of Paul and Silas to God and that earthquake. They made a connection between those things. Because they are in awe. Those other prisoners are, are in awe. That two men who had just been severely beaten are not groaning and crying and complaining and yelling about their rights being violated, but instead are worshiping and praising God. They're worshiping and praising God. And he says, everyone is listening. You know, and as they're listening to those songs of triumph, as they're listening to those songs of faith, as they're listening to those songs about our Creator God and our Savior Jesus Christ, they're hearing the truth of the good news of Jesus. They're being preached to through those songs. They're listening. But it's a combination. It's the combination of the, of the truth that they're hearing in those songs and the testimony of those who are giving it. Because it's about the message, and it's, but it's also about the messenger. You know, the message is true regardless, right? The message about Jesus is true regardless. But the character, the testimony of the messenger is important. 
Because when people have a reason to trust and to believe the one who's giving the message, the message is more powerful. When they see the difference that the message makes in in the lives of the messengers, the message becomes more powerful. When they see the changed life, when they see the grace under pressure, when they, when they see how adversity is handled differently, then they say, hey, there's something different about these people, and there's something different that Jesus does when they are in conflict, when they are in pain, when they are going through trials and through tribulations. And our, our faith is, is in our character and our testimony is not tested when life is going smoothly. But it's when there's adversity. And that's where we see the level of our maturity. That's like, okay, we're doing kind of well here. Or, whoa, we need to grow here. It's how we, how we handle the conflict and the adversity and the difficulty, the trials and tribulations of life. I want you to think just for a moment, you know, when um, the delusional, um, you know, white supremacist Dylan in um, South Carolina went into the, to the Bible study, you know, and murdered those people and their family members immediately, I mean, we're talking not 24 hours afterwards are in the, are on the cameras and all the pressure, all the sadness, all the grief, all the anger, and their response is, we forgive. That speaks to our world. Now, if they had just responded in their flesh, They wouldn't have had that testimony. They responded in the spirit. And it was powerful. And so that, you know, that tells us you know, how you know, we approach. And hopefully none of us have to endure you know, ever anything like that. But what about the smaller things? I mean, if, if they as followers of Jesus can handle that. What about the smaller things of life? But here's the problem with the smaller things of life. We think we can handle them without God. And so, therefore, we just respond in the flesh. Because, you know, when people die, well, we know we need God. We go immediately to him and beg for his help and his mercy and his grace, his strength and his power. But when it's the smaller things of life, we think, oh, I got this. And then we make ourselves fools. And we heard the testimony of Jesus Christ. Because we're too prideful, too prideful for the daily dependence in the little things. We think, oh, I've got this. And that's where we blow it. I find that people, we blow it more in the small stuff than we do in the big stuff. But the reason is the source. The big things in life, you actually usually handle pretty well. Most cases. But it's the little stuff. It's when somebody cuts you off in traffic. It's when you lose your mind. 
Somebody could kill one of your family members and you can handle that in Jesus. Can't handle somebody cutting you off in traffic because pride. Because of not looking to Jesus in that moment. You don't think you need to look to Jesus in that moment. That's what I do. That's what, what you do. And that's what messes us up. And that's what makes sometimes our faith, quote unquote, unbelievable. When people look at our lives, look at the lives of people who say, I'm a believer. And when we sweat the small stuff, it undermines our faith. It undermines our testimony. It undermines the message. If as a, I I know we'll handle the big stuff, but as a people, if we learn to handle the small stuff, then that will speak volumes to our spheres of influence. That'll speak volumes to them. Look to Jesus in the small stuff. But here, this is big stuff. Big enough to where God sends this earthquake. The foundation of the prisons were shaken. Immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. That's what he's talking about. Like, why is he doing that? Because he knows he's going to get killed. You know, he's like, might as well just go ahead and get this over with. Go ahead and finish it. <clears throat> but Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He had heard the message. He had probably heard some of the singing. And now he wants to follow the true one powerful God. Verse 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. So that's a command. That's, you know, what we have to understand that this is a command. You know, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and it's, and it's also, you know, it's not just for you. You know, your household needs to believe as well. So it all comes back to a command. You know, and, and really that's what, it, the, the belief in Jesus, it's, it's a request and it's simultaneously a request and a command. Like, you believe in Jesus. You know, yes, you need to believe in Jesus. Please believe in Jesus, but you believe in Jesus. Like, you need to believe in him. Because he asked that question. What must I do to be saved? And that response is, is something that's a necessity. That's why it's, it's given as a necessity. It's not given as a, you know, here's, here's a one of 25 different options. It's given, this is the necessity. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. Isn't that such a great promise of God? You know, this is talking about a, a faith that's a true faith. It's not just an intellectual agreement, but it's a true faith. It's a, yes, it's a trust it's a trust in Jesus. And isn't it wonderful that that's what's necessary for salvation? That there's not like this list of once you've completed this list of tasks, once you've done these 50 things or 100 things, then maybe. You know, it's not ambiguous. It's not a, it's not a we hope so. It's not a, well, you know, just maybe if you do this, then God will have mercy on you. But I can't promise you anything. No, it's a promise of God. 
Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's a promise of God. You know, when we are sharing the message, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ with people, we are giving them, a, we're sharing with them the promise of God that is unshakable. Because it's God who made the promise. It's certain. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. A certainty. It's a true hope. It's a certain hope. And they said, verse 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same night, hour of the night, and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed and God. Now there's a rejoicing that happens here. There's a, there's a response to this that shows the reality of it. You know, it's the, it's the hearing of the word. Yeah, and it's this reciprocal thing that's going back and forth here that's pr- pretty cool. It's, you know, the word is first and primary. And then in response to that, you know, you've got the, the wounds of Paul and Silas being washed. And then, you know, once that's done and they're able to then, you know, do the baptism... You know, they're not waiting around. Like, he's ready. He and his household, you know, the people who believe, they're, they're ready to be baptized because they're ready to, to make that public profession of faith. It's not just private anymore. You know, it's not just a private decision, but it's a public expression of, yes, I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm identified with him from this point forward, just like Lydia just like we talked about with Lydia, from this point forward in his life, his key, number one, ultimate identity is found in Jesus Christ. Yes, he's a Greek. He's a man from Macedonia. You know, he's a jailer. He's from Philippi. He's a man. He's a husband. He's a father. He's all these different things. But those things are small and secondary to the reality that he is a follower of Jesus and his identity is in Jesus. And that is ultimately defines who he is as his creator creation relationship is now restored and is in unity. Do you understand that? that I mean, that's that's your primary identification is that God is your creator and that you are his creation You're made in his image. And when you believe in Jesus, that image, you're a new creation. And that image is, that had been marred is now restored. And you're placed and put into him. And if that's your reality, if that's my reality, then everything else in life is, is small in comparison to that. In comparison to that truth. And so that's where our, our purpose is found. That's where our vision is found. That's where um, our character is found. It's where everything that really matters in us is now placed. Not in these other things. Not in the, all the, the labels of the world. 
not even in the true labels. Things that are true about this man are still true about this man in terms of he's still a father, he's still a husband. I'm not sure if he still gets to be jailer. You know, we'll see. <laughs> you know, but, you know, maybe he has to find a different profession. But it's all good because his identity is now in Jesus. And he rejoiced. And that should be the response. You know, if you're in the Lord this morning, you might have a lot of other mess going on in your life, but you can rejoice that you're in the Lord. You might have a lot of other adversity going on in your life, but you can rejoice that you're in the Lord. And when somebody comes to know the Lord, shouldn't everyone rejoice? Have that spirit and heart to rejoice. And, and I just want to say, I, 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 have to, I have to say this. When you, when you hear, man, somebody just believed in Jesus. Like somebody went from death to life. If that doesn't spark something inside of you, your life is too much about you and not near enough about God. You understand what I'm saying with that? If you hear, man, these people come to know Jesus and you're, li- and you're like, oh, cool. You're like way too much about you and not near enough about Jesus. Because the person that's in walking with the Lord and is close to him, when hears that, you will, your heart will leap for joy. That's just reality. I mean, I don't mind preaching that hard because that's the truth. If you, if you hear people truly passing from death unto life and that doesn't cause some sort of spark in you, then that, that is like, whoa, time out, on the knees, face down. I mean, literally, I'm not talking pretend. I'm talking literally like make yourself uncomfortable, get on your knees, put your face to the ground and weep because you're not close to God. Weep. Because that is the natural response if you're walking with the Lord. Because when there's a party in heaven, there should be a party in your heart. And that should, that's an indicator. There were too much about this world. Too much about this world. Because when we see the mission that Jesus gave us being fulfilled... Because he told us to go into to all the people groups, you know, to all the families of the earth and make disciples. And we hear about that being fulfilled. Or we're, I mean, especially when you hear about it, you know, from people in our own community sharing the gospel with others and people believing. Man, that should boom. Fill your heart. Fill your heart with joy. Fill your heart with joy. We'll finish this up. Verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let these men go. And their jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come on now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. And the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So when they came and apologized to them, they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and then when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. 
kind of a cool passage there, you know. <laughs> um, you'll, you'll notice a couple things in it. Yeah, it said, okay, send the magistrates, you know, send, say, hey, let the people go. And then that's when Paul says, hey, 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 wait a second here. You know, you violated the law. You know, this isn't a law that laws that, you know, Paul made or anything like that. But it's just the law that he lives under as a Roman citizen. And so he uses that in this case to make a point, you know, and perhaps to protect others that would come down the road. Because he might be going to leave, but there are going to be other you know, missionaries that are going to come, you know, to this place. And, you, you know, and he's letting them know you can't just go and, and beat people without a trial. You know, you at least have to go through the, pro- the proper process of this. And he says to them, you know, here, we're Roman citizens. Now, when the mob did this, when the magistrates were part of this, their assumption, they assumed that these Jewish men were not Roman citizens. They just assumed that they weren't. But they assumed incorrectly because Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. And so this is an important point. And it's, um, you know, they didn't, you know, you don't see in the scripture here, you know, them, them advocating much for, um, you know, particular laws to be given or enforced. And, you know, they're not in a democracy and they're not in a position of power. You know, you can't take that and translate all of that to today and exactly how we should or shouldn't respond, you know, in situations by any means. Um, but they do use what is available to them. And I think that that's important. You know, it wasn't their first priority. They used what was available to them, but it wasn't their first priority. Their first priority was to worship God when they had been beaten. To worship God in the face of injustice. But then when given an opportunity to promote justice and to promote what was true and what was right, they took it. And they're not going to just, and they're also in this, not going to just be bullied because they hadn't broken any, you know, laws. Um, and so when they're told even, hey, just, okay, we came and asked you now, just leave the city. You notice that they don't immediately do it. They go back and visit Lydia. They go back and visit, you know, the other new believers. They give their encouragement and then they go. You know, they're not being obstinate. They're not being, you know, difficult for the sake of being difficult, but they're going to do what they feel they need to do in terms of their ministry. Uh, and, you know, they're not, in, they're not breaking into laws and they're not looking to antagonize people unnecessarily, but they're not just going to get pushed around either. And so there's a balance with that that we see here, you know, in this passage that I, I think is pretty cool. What I want to caution us against now or at any point in the future, is when you know, things go against us, that our first reaction is not, my rights, my rights. You know, my first reaction is, I worship God, I care about the things of the ministry, and then secondarily, hey, you know, if there's a law here that's been violated and we've been on the wrong side of it, to, to stand up and say that's not justice. You know, so that's, um, you know, and, and, and we have an advantage now in, in our time, you know, that we can actually, you know, advocate, you know, as well for law and for better laws. But usually what we want to do as followers of Jesus is we're not looking to just like set these hedges of protection around ourselves. But we want to use our ability, you know, the fact that we live in a democracy. And we want to use our position for the protection and benefit of other people. You know, that's one of the things that we view as important and 
You know, so when it comes to, you know, laws about human trafficking, yeah, we want to influence our politicians to make good laws about that, right? Um, and we want to use our influence even that we have in the world to influence politicians in other countries even to have good laws about those things because that can actually help people. You know, and, and when you have no law, when you have no rule of law, powerful people tend to, to trample on those who don't have any power. Um, you know, you, that's just a historical norm. So there is an importance there um, for law, and there's a place for followers of Jesus to use the law um, and to promote it. Um, you know, that, that can be appropriate. Don't want us to get all sidetracked from that uh, to that um, to the point of where we miss out on the gospel because we have to have our priorities. We have to have our priorities as followers of Jesus. And so no matter, even for people who are lawyers, who are followers of Jesus, who you know, are working to use the law every day, their priority needs to main, be maintained as you know, the worship of God first, the proclamation of the gospel second, and the law third. You know, I mean, it's, it's got to be in that order of things. And that's true no matter who you are and what you do. No matter who you are and what you do, your walk with the Lord and your, your work for the Lord have to come before whatever profession or other thing in life that you pursue. Jesus has to be first. He, he's, if that's your identity, he has to be first in all those things. And sometimes there's going to be a cost that is associated with that. And that's okay. We see here Paul and Silas willing to pay a price and a cost. But when people pay a price and a cost, usually God is faithful to, to bless bigger than the cost. And, and what I mean by that, I mean it in spiritual terms. You know, they paid a physical cost, but the, them willing to, be, to pay the physical cost, to be beaten, to thrown in prison, results in a lot of other people them putting their faith in Jesus. They reap a spiritual harvest because they were willing to pay a temporal, earthly cost. They reach an eternal harvest with that. So let's just keep that in mind. But again, it comes down to we have to have Jesus first. Big stuff or small stuff, but I just want to hit that point one last time because I'd like for each one of us to take us with us tonight. We see them handle this big stuff well. Usually followers of Jesus will handle the big stuff well. But, you know, odds of anybody of, of us being beaten today and thrown into prison are pretty tiny. For the name of Jesus, getting beaten, thrown in jail, pretty tiny today in our context. The greater odds of that in other contexts, in other places in the world. We need to pray for our, those followers of Jesus to have strength. They are our family. We are connected to them. Followers of Jesus in North Korea right now who are being starved to death in prisons, that's our family that that's happening to. And they're suffering because of the name of Jesus. And that should, that should move us in our hearts. And we should pray for them. And we should try to do what we can you know, to, to support the family of Jesus throughout the world. We're all connected. There's one true church. There's one true collection of followers of Jesus in this world. And some of our brothers and sisters are suffering a ton and will continue to. And some of us may be asked to in more significant ways 
as we go through our lives. But the reality for most all of us, or for all of us sitting in this room right now, today, this day, odds of being something really, really big or small, but odds of little things, multiple little things, well, I'm pretty much guarantee you that. That we're guaranteed. It's going to be little things. That we're guaranteed. How we handle those things is a reflection on our God and our walk with our God and our testimony to others. Let's encourage each other today. Let's love on one another today. Build one another up in our faith and be prepared for today and, and this week as we go throughout this week to handle the small stuff well. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. For your grace in our lives that is sufficient. And just like your grace was sufficient for Paul and Silas being beaten and thrown into prison. Your strength and your love was sufficient for them in those moments. Your grace and your love and your power. You God, you are sufficient for us. And all the little things that we have. This day. You're sufficient for the little things. You're sufficient for the, for the big things and everything in between. God, your grace is sufficient for us. Please help us to understand that. Please help us to strip away our pride. Let's take away our pride, Lord. Where we think we can handle all the small stuff without you. Help us correct that attitude, whether it's explicit or implicit in our lives. Please take away that attitude from us. Please take away that perspective from us and help us to walk day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, moment by moment with you, dear Jesus. We need you every moment of every hour. We need your reality at work in our lives. Please help us this week to be in your presence, to be those who share the good news of our Savior and King, to be those who handle life well for your glory and for your honor. Jesus, as we take that bread and the cup before we do, please. Show us in us what needs to be different. Help us to confess any sins that we have. Help us to be um, whole spiritually, Lord. And then help us to take that bread and that cup with thanksgiving and joyful hearts. In your name, Jesus, we ask it.